Well, this week I um, popped into the beginning of the final session of our marriage preparation course, which uh, Mel and Bede and Don Rollins have been leading uh, over the last five weeks. And it was so lovely to see that warm uh, hospitality that's been offered uh, to those five couples who'll be getting married here over the next few months, um, attending the course, and to see all those who've been involved in making it such a welcoming uh a uh, very romantic setting with candles and flowers and uh, snacks on the tables. And it was just just lovely. And, uh, uh, of course, those of you who've been involved with planning weddings will know there are two things which can become particularly fraught uh, issues at a wedding. I don't know whether you discuss these, but uh, for the host couple, that dilemma of who to sit with whom on the seating plan. And perhaps more importantly, who not to sit with whom, <laughs> uh, if your family's anything like mine. Uh, and then for the guests, that equally fraught dilemma of finding where you are to be seated uh, when they show you that seating plan as you come in and uh, wondering if you can cope with that group of people for the next however many hours it is. Uh, of course, it usually works out just fine, but... Um, uh, sometimes wonder whether that's the reason why many of us clergy graciously decline the invitation to the uh, wedding reception at a wedding they've conducted, um, muttering, we have a sermon to write, etc., etc. Um, but in our reading from Luke's Gospel today, Jesus is the guest at a Sabbath meal, and he is enjoying the hospitality of a leading Pharisee, we're told. Uh, Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. And yet Jesus risks being seen as that guest from hell uh, when with holy boldness he bowls straight into a discussion about seating plans and status. And he tells a parable about guests and hosts. And that is in a society where honour and shame were very important cultural values and where to lose faith in public uh, could have disastrous social consequences. So Jesus is speaking into a setting that was uh, typical of Jewish and also Roman Empire uh, societies where there was a whole network of what they called patrons and clients. And you'd be a patron and a client, but your patron would also be a client of another patron. And so it goes. And reciprocating hospitality was a vehicle within that society for cementing uh, social networks and keeping them well oiled. And everybody knew their place and their status uh, within that setup, a bit of a sort of a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours sort of sort of way. And the power lunches of the 1980s had nothing on this. Um, but there it was. But within that context of being a guest at the meal, Jesus, with great boldness, takes on uh, both the other guests and also his host, and he invites them to consider a much wider perspective. And it's like even at the table, Jesus turns the tables on them and around them and challenges them with a vision of the topsy-turvy reign of God, which is symbolized by that great messianic banquet uh, where Jesus the Messiah invites everybody uh, and all are invited, including those considered within his own society and religion as somehow unclean, as it was put, or unworthy uh, to be invited. And as so often in Luke's gospel, Jesus' concern is not whether he treads on the toes of his host. He doesn't mince his words, and he's quite direct. He has genuine concern 
for the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, uh, as, as Luke puts it, those who are often just left out and overlooked because they couldn't be of any social or financial advantage to others if seen in that simply utilitarian light. And of course, that's a temptation, uh, whether we're in the first century or the 21st. One thing I like about Jesus' radical approach to hospitality is that he puts host and guest on the same footing, mutually. Uh, so those on the margins become honoured guests at the table. And hosts are told they will be blessed by God in their giving. Uh, think of the prayer of St. Francis, it is in giving that we receive. And I was interested to discover the, the, uh, the word hospitality comes from a Latin word, hospes. And hospes actually talk, uh, refers both to the host who provides the hospitality, but actually the same word is used for the guest, the one who receives hospitality. And I think that's rather lovely uh, that both uh, are just as important in the hospitality equation. Now, we know uh, Olive and, and Wendy and others too offer wonderful weekly hospitality in our English language class for new migrants. And it's always lovely to see and to hear that buzz of conversation uh, as they learn and explore together. And uh, Olive, of course, spoke to us earlier in the year of that privilege of helping refugees in their early stages of adaptation to life in a very different country and how much, too, she has learned and received in the process. I recall when I lived in France in my uh, 20s, and I helped in my church's involvement there with Cambodian uh, refugees, and I was able to use the English that I had and which they'd acquired in the Thai refugee camps to help them now to learn French, uh, because it was a new language for both of us and how much I and they appreciated um, coming across other people from the same part of the world. Uh, we were all sort of like a fish out of water, if you like, on the other side of the world, all a long way from our homes, all trying to learn French together and to get used to a very different country and way of life. And I recall over copious cups of jasmine tea, uh, we, we shared our learning together and uh, marked on the world map, which was so important for them on their wall, where we were all from, um, the other end of the world. And I can remember um, someone critiqued a family and said, look, they've got this enormous colour TV on the wall, you know, and shouldn't they be spending their money elsewhere? But it was so important for them to have contact with and news of their home. And we're so quick to judge, aren't we? But um, for them who struggled with language, and actually it was a great learning tool uh, to learn as well. An elderly friend of my dad's died just recently in Nelson, Peter, and he had spent his retirement years teaching members of the local Bhutanese uh, refugee community to drive uh, and to be mechanics. And they came um, in, a, in a great crowd to his funeral and spoke of him with huge honour and affection. That was so powerful. It's so easy, isn't it, for our energies to shift inward when times are tough in all sorts of ways um, in our world, in our country. And I was challenged by these words I read recently. Jesus has nowhere to lodge but goes about as a stranger, naked and hungry, and you set up houses out of town and baths and terraces and chambers without number. And to Jesus, you give not even a share of a little hut. 
Now, you might think those words might have come from Pope Francis or perhaps one of our city missioners like Corin Haynes, but actually they come from um, St. John Chrysostom in the fourth century. So already we can see that these uh, human nature, perhaps we could say changes, uh, but little over the centuries. But there is that challenge, isn't it, for those of us who are able to, to consider how we can support those in great need in our community, in our society, and in our world. And I'm so proud of the efforts of our uh, youth group members to raise funds for World Vision, uh, for clean water in our world. And um, you may have seen in Connect that we managed to uh, get our awards back from last year that we dusted and polished up. And, um, and so I hope that we can um, present those uh, at a time when you can all see them here. Next week, we're going to have the opportunity to hear news from Dr. Nick and Tessa Lang. You'll remember Nick spoke to us, I can't remember whether it was last year or it wasn't too long ago, was it? Uh, and they're back in Uganda and have sent us a short video that they've made for us with an update. And uh, I was talking to someone just the other day about their family in Tonga who are still continuing the rebuild after you remember the volcanic eruption there. These things go out of the news so quickly, don't they? And yet still in places like Tonga or Afghanistan or Ukraine, um, we need to keep on praying and supporting as we can. And we know for many people who've lost everything, they cannot repay us in financial terms, but our partnerships through prayer and practical support bring us to spiritual blessings that are out of this world. So let's be mindful, though, that for each of us, hospitality might look different. And it's important to think about that, I think. I enjoyed the hospitality of a meet and eat group uh, on the weekend uh, with a beautifully put together cooked meal. Many of you know that's not my forte. Uh, but one thing I did um, make time to do yesterday was to ring a 93-year-old friend of my mother's. So she taught with my mother as a school teacher. Uh, she's now 93 but and just recently widowed. And she just lives up on one of those hills where the floods and slips, the slips particularly, have been really bad uh, in Nelson. And so I gave her a ring. And uh, it took two goes for us to get a, get a good line that she could hear. But we chatted for about half an hour. And um, she said, I'm okay. But, you know, it is so good when people ring uh, or just pop in. She said, even for five minutes, I don't feel so lonely or on my own. I know I'm not forgotten. You know, and we know those things. But it just to, to hear that reminded me again. I came across a, a funny phrase the other day that um, – but it drew out for me another dimension of hospitality, I think, beyond that shared around a table. And it was called interruptive hospitality. I thought, gosh, that's a funny phrase. But it was the willingness, even in a busy schedule, to allow yourself to be interrupted. To move away from your routine or your busy, whatever you were doing, to accommodate someone who needs that precious gift of your time, maybe right then or your attention, or a listening ear. And in our often time-scarce society, that can be a real challenge, can't it? When you've just flopped down with your meal, or you've just sat down after tea in front of your favourite TV programme or show, and the phone rings, and you look at it and think, shall I answer it? Uh, or there's someone at the door as you're in the middle of serving the meal, 
or someone wants to talk in the supermarket while your frozens are defrosting gently in the trolley. Um, we all know how it is. But sometimes that's a gift, isn't it? That gift of time, of the willingness to be interrupted, is something that perhaps in our cultures we need to relearn. It's a gift taken for granted in many other cultures where the needs of some will always trump the clock or timetables every time. So how do we find that balance between our own needs, our things to do, our needs to for rest and space, uh, to get our stuff done, and the needs of the world on our doorstep? Where do we sit on that whole spectrum, if you like, of selfishness at one extreme, but on the other, um, we can be, if we get to a stage where uh, our humility actually means um, we risk ending up feeling like a doormat and feeling used and resentful. And there's a long spectrum there, isn't there? Uh, and we need to think about that and to pray about that before God particularly if we're feeling sometimes perhaps over, uh, overused or over, over hard done by. And perhaps the answer is somewhere in the middle there about the security of our own standing in Christ. Um, we sometimes talk about our age as one of status anxiety. And status was a very big thing in Jesus' time. And uh, status literally means standing, where we stand, our standing uh, in society? Where do we stand in relation to other people and our world? And perhaps uh, Māoridom has something to teach us in needing to know our tūranga waiwai, uh, literally where is our place to stand and be rooted with our feet, our rootedness in our origins, our family, our land and our faith. And that's really important, isn't it? That when we're secure in standing as a child of God, yes, I am, uh, then we can actually hear perhaps with more um, wisdom what God is saying to us as we seek to respond to the so many needs around us. Is this for me or is this not for me? It's been said too that one of the lessons of the Psalms is to teach us to stand between our need and our gratitude, between petition and praise, to hold those things together. And they're all there in the Psalms. There's lots of crying out to God uh, in bringing our needs and being really direct and out there, but there's also lots of praise and thanks. And we stand in the middle of that. We acknowledge our dependence on God for all that we need, and we can come to in prayer as children do to their parents and ask. But we also come in gratitude and thanksgiving to God for all that God gives us in life and in one another, including the skills and talents that we have to share life together and to share our resources together in mutual love and support. So as we prepare to come together to the communion table and then later on we'll come to the morning tea table, if you like, together as God's people, let's keep in focus that banquet where everybody is invited. And sometimes we need to do that inviting too with perhaps newer folk or those who are not so confident. Say, come to the table with me. Come. All are welcome. And all are welcome and where the humble are exalted by Jesus who humbled himself for us. Amen.
just going to see a, a wee video clip now which paints that reading. And it's, I think, a lovely way just to reflect gently now. Uh, just back one. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, not invite your friends, your brothers or your sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do so, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a bank, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot be paid, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast. He sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please, excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please, excuse me. Still, another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in. so that my house will be full. So that my house will be full. Let's pray for that banqueting table, for that feast, and uh, for all to be welcome at God's table. Well, we're coming uh, now just before we come to uh, pray because we're going to do something a bit special today uh, to this time tomorrow. So Jeff, I think is going to have.